Hi everyone, Steve Adubato. This is Lessons in Leadership. We are honored to be joined by Michael Clinton, who's the author of Roar into the Second Half of Your Life. Good to see you, Michael. How are you doing? Steve, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Mary Gammon, my longtime colleague of 23 years, the president of the Caucus Educational Corporation. She works with us on the leadership development end as well. Mary and I have been debating this whole second half of your life thing forever. We actually interviewed, uh, was it Warren Bennis, Mary? We interviewed his book, Refire, Don't Retire. I think it was Bennis. Um, you agree, I agree with you, Michael, that we need to roar into the second half. Just don't peter out, you yeah. say? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if first of all, if you're 60 and you're healthy, you're gonna have a good shot of living to be 90 or older. And, you know, this is the, the new longevity that it's called. And the new longevity means that when you get to midlife, 50, 60, you got a whole other chapter ahead of you that was very different than your parents and your grandparents before, because, you know, life expectancies are growing. I'm on the board of the Stanford University Center on Longevity. They put out a paper called uh, The New Map of Life, The Hundred Year Life is Here. So this is, um, you know, there's a possibility for a second career, a different lifestyle, a new relationship, all the above. So wind up, don't wind down. I call it rewire, Steve. Um, Bennis calls it refire. I call it rewire. You know what I screwed Mary, I think it was Ken Blanchard. Check, it was Ken Blanchard, not Warren Bennis. They actually wrote a book together um, and I got that screwed up. Edit out that mistake because I never want to look bad on the air. Um, <laughs> we Mary, corrected it now. That counts as an edit, Steve. Mary, jump in here because, again, I have said to you, since I got to a certain point in my career, I've been more engaged, more ready to do more different things, write this new book coming out, Lessons in Leadership, the Tough Stuff, later this year. Mary's like, why do you have to do more stuff? And I said, Mary, yeah. I'm still pumped up. Mary's looking to what? Well, and this is the thing, Michael, I am so excited to be, number one, I've read your book and I'm so excited because it, it's helped me to solidify. I've said to Steve for the longest time, I said literally like, you know, the 25 year mark, you know, Steve and I, I mean, nobody works at one company for 25 years anymore, right? So like, I need like a watch or Steve, you can get me a watch, a nice pair of earrings or something. I thought and, you wanted more money, but that's all right. Yeah, more money is good too. And, but I said to Steve, I said, I want to pivot at that about 25 year mark, right? I want to try something different. Steve is so satisfied and so fulfilled here that he wants to continue on that path. So talk a little bit. I know ROAR is an acronym, and I would love for you to yeah. share what that acronym is, because I think that helps to set the context for the next part of our discussion. Before you answer, Michael, realize I, di I disagree with Mary's premise of the question. I don't want to do the same thing. Things are not the same. We're not doing the same thing. Oh, so I, I mean here. I mean here. Like okay. I, exactly. That's all I mean. You want to pivot here. I want to literally, and to give Michael background, I want to open up an animal rescue, a dog okay. rescue. So, you know, that that's completely different than here. Yeah. So that's the yeah, difference. Good. Fair. Go ahead, Michael. I, I, I think what's happening is people are taking both paths. You know, people are working much longer. Um, you know, the data that's out is that people are working well into their 60s and 70s, part of it because they want to and they're engaged. The other part of it is because they need to from an economic standpoint. You know, if they're going to live a long life, they're going to have to really have a sustainable economic background. But the people that I interviewed for the book, 40 of them all did a pivot outside into a brand new world, just like Mary discussed. And the ROAR acronym, R stands for the reimagination process and how you integrate reimagining into your life 
The O is, you know, own your stuff right now. You know, you got to take a full audit, own your health, own your finances, own your age, own the possibilities. The A is the action plan. And there's a lot of great tools and resources in the book. And the R is reassess your relationships because the people around you, family, friends, spouse, kids, employers, partners, whatever you call them, they're the ones that are going to really give you the lift to be able to do whatever you want to do next. And use that imagination to say, wow, I can do a whole new thing. I can open an animal rescue shelter if I want to do that. And I can do that for 20 years or I can do it for the rest of my life or do it for mm -hmm. 10 years. I think we're in this time now where people are saying I can have multiple careers and they each may last 20 years and that's okay. Interesting. Mike, I want to follow up on this. And I want to thank our good friend, Nick Matarazzo, who you've known a long time. Um, your background, tell everyone, um, Nick is one of the top executives at Hearst. He's on a previous edition of Lessons in Leadership. Uh, your connection to Hearst, make that clear for everyone, Michael. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks, Steve. I, I was the longtime president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. We have 25 magazines. Um, some of you hopefully know Car and Driver, where Nick's involved, you know, Esquire, L the Oprah magazine, House Beautiful, you know, on and on. And um, I was in the magazine publishing business for almost 40 years. I was the publisher of GQ. I was the executive VP at Condé Nast, president at Hearst. So it's in my blood. It's in my blood. And so, uh, and I'm still working with our CEO, but now I'm doing this business around the book roar. I'm curious about something, Michael. To what degree is technology, I mean, look, Three years ago, in March of 2020, we pivoted along with the rest of the world, and and we have not been in the studio. We've done some on-location shoots. We have not been in the studio, per se. Um, I don't like to share too much, but I am wearing gym shorts and um, Crocs. Do I have Crocs? Hey, over there. <laughs> Stop oh, sharing there, Steve. <laughs> so why, why is that relevant? Because I have said, and I actually wrote this in a chapter of... Uh, of this new book, Lessons in Leadership, the Tough Stuff, that technology has made it easier for, for those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to do it this way. Does that mean that there are more possibilities for what we could do moving forward, A, and B, Michael, that we work longer because it's not the same. Again, people, everyone's in a different situation, but please, Michael. Yeah, well, first of all, I can't wait to read your book. You know, and so, but the second piece is, the beauty of this is that, you know, we have a lot of ageism built into the business world. And so companies are going to have to rewire because they like to start moving people out in their 60s. The problem, as you know, is there's not enough people in the, in the subsequent generation to fill a lot of the jobs. And so people not only want to work longer, but what's great is if you have great cognitive leadership, experience, wisdom, knowledge, you can do it via Zoom and technology, and that really, um, you know, you don't have to be commuting as much, you don't have to be driving as much, you don't have to have, you know, being doing business travel as much. And so I think this is really sort of a renaissance period for people who do want to work longer and, you know, work well into their 70s. I mean, you see Bob Iger just went back to running Disney at 71. Um, I loved Anthony Fauci's comment. He's stepping out of government after 81 80. 82, hey, he's going on to 82, I think. Right. And, and he's saying, well, I'm not retiring. I'm just getting ready for my next gig. And I think, you know, a lot of people, especially the boomers, are saying, man, I got a lot of energy. I'm healthy. I'm engaged. I, I, you know, playing golf for 30 years is not sustainable. I, I want to be involved in other things. 
Nick may want to play golf for 30 years, but most people, you know, still want to do other things. And I think this generation, the boomers are going to, are going to change the whole script and they're going to scramble it up. And that's what's, what's happening already. So yours, Mary. Yeah, I would love, Steve and I have been looking and researching. We just finished a chapter on wellness. Michael, can you talk a little bit about the connection between this paradigm shift in our lives and wellness? Where does that come in at that pivotal time? So I think I'll go back to those famous boomers. You know, they were really the ones that brought fitness, wellness integrated into the everyday lifestyle. And if you think about it, it, it really permeated the culture. So you've got all of these people who are 50, 60, 70, 80. I have a friend, Alan Patrikoff, who's 88, who just finished the New York Marathon. You know, they've integrated it into their lives. So it's, it's become a part of who they are. And I think that that in combination with medical breakthroughs and in combination with healthier living and all of the things that we've, uh, we all know is, is creating a culture of wellness, which is going to add to longevity. And I think we're bringing that down to our kids and our grandkids so that they see that wellness is a part of how they have to live their life. And, you know, it's not just health wellness, but it's also going to be financial wellness because a lot of young people, there are no more pensions. Some companies don't have 401ks. Social security is, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So wellness has a broad definition of just not physical, but also, you know, spiritual, mental and financial. One more quick question, Michael. You did not write about this in the book, but uh, your experience with this is relevant. I have argued, and again, I don't, I don't want to keep talking about the book coming out, but there's a chapter in the book about how our meetings, even remotely, are killing us. Too many meetings, too long, right. too long in the day, too many meetings I don't belong in, too many meetings that are not engaging, interactive, and interesting, and it's affecting our wellness, meaning you're sitting here yeah. 10 hours a day, 10 hours a day, looking at Am right. I making too much of the meeting culture literally killing us? Yeah, you know, I think there. what I'm seeing in our business and just around, I live in New York City, is there's a hunger for people to be together again, physically together. And I think what's happening is I'm already seeing our people saying, we were going to have a Zoom, but someone said, well, let's have the physical meeting instead. And I think we're also, I think that's going to create a recalibration because when you think about Zoom meetings back to back to back to back to back, that is numbing. So, you know, part of it's scheduling, but part of it is, you know, we've got to be more together to be able to have the kinds of things that, you know, create magic when people get together, whether it's for personal or for, or for work. So, I think you're starting to see it shift because of back to work policies changing and, and so forth. That's Michael Clinton. He has written a compelling book called Roar into the Second Half of Your Life, in parentheses in red, Mary, before it's too late. <laughs> Michael, I cannot thank you enough um, for joining us. Uh, we'll be sharing this with our audience on the public broadcasting side as well. Michael Clinton, um, who has had a great career so far, and I can't wait to uh, check out what he does after this. All the best, Michael. Thanks, Steve. Check me out on LinkedIn, too. See you. What, where, LinkedIn, Michael, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn roarbymichaelclinton.com for our Roar newsletter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, all the above. Roar yep, Facebook. Sylvester will be putting all that up on screen the entire right. time. So thank you for thanks, that, Michael. Mary. Thank you, Michael. All the best. Steve, thanks. Mary, great meeting you guys. Thank you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by... The Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, 
the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Valley's all about making life easier for clients, and that's why we're all about smiles, too. So every day, we make it possible for home buyers to become homeowners, for folks chasing their dreams to become entrepreneurs, for parents to plan today for their children's tomorrow, and for communities to get better every day. You see, when we know we've put a smile on a customer's face, well, that puts one on ours, too. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato with my colleague, Mary Gamba. Um, before we in introduce our good friend, Calvin Ledford Jr. over at the PSCG Foundation, the president. Mary, um, we have, let's plug some of our media partners. Yeah. Oh, I would love to. Oh, I love that you have props. So we have uh, business and that's uh, NJBIA. Yep, exactly. So NJBIA. Business. How about this one? Commerce Industry Association. Commerce Magazine. Yeah, you're doing a great job introducing these yourself. Keep it going. Our newest media partner, Mary, Meadowlands Chamber and? And Meadowlands Magazine. Magazine. Yeah, thank you, Jim Kirkos. And uh, we just met uh, Cindy over there as well. And it, that's been a great partnership for years. And it's just so great to make him an official media partner of Lessons in Leadership. So uh, just doing great stuff for the state of New Jersey. And while I have the screen time, I would love to just thank our partners as well who make Lessons in Leadership possible. Prager Metis, Valley Bank, New Jersey Sharing Network, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute, the North Ward Center, Fedway Associates, Veolia, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. So thank you so much for your ongoing partnership to all of our great organizations. Yeah, very generous corporations. And speaking of great corporations at PSEG, the PSEG Foundation, a longtime supporter of our public broadcasting over at the Caucus Educational Corporation. We're honored to introduce on Lessons in Leadership, Calvin Ledford, Jr., President of PSCG Foundation, Director of Corporate Social Responsibility at PSCG. Calvin, good to see you. Good to see you as well, Steve, and good morning, Mary. Thank you all for having me. Our honor. Calvin, let me ask you, uh, this is a standard question, but we get a different answer every time. Your training in leadership influenced by a lot of different players, mentors, different people in your life. The greatest leadership influencer in your life has been? Wow, that's a tough one, Steve. There's been so many over the years. You know, I've, I've had great mentors at PSCG. I've had other mentors within social organizations and fraternal organizations that I belong to. I'm a graduate, as you know, of LEAD New Jersey, as well as Leadership Newark. Um, That's right. But I will I will share this. One of the common messages, one of the common uh, leadership goals in all of my training has been be a great listener. 
make sure you listen to understand so that you're in a position to be able to provide good guidance and counsel with whatever the conversation or the scenario is that you're speaking about. It starts with being able to be a good listener. Mary, Mary's smiling. Because... I, I, <laughs> I always tell my kids all the time, especially my youngest, Joey, he's a uh, he's an actor. He's pursuing that. So oftentimes he has a lot to say. And I said, listen, I said, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And he was like, that's really good, mom. And I said, I know. Take that advice into adulthood and it'll do you really good. It's important. Yeah, it is. And Calvin, I'm not going to get into my philosophy on what I like to call strategic interrupting because Mary thinks the word strategic is a joke and it's just my excuse to interrupt. <laughs> it's sort of uh, like Calvin, he also says artful confrontation. So he puts <laughs> these like descriptors in front of words that may have a negative connotation to try to make it seem like it's more strategic. But go I ahead. Understand. <laughs> you understand, can you feel the chemistry between us? Uh, I do, I do. Yeah. Calvin, follow up on this, mentoring, a big part of PSEG Foundation, mentoring younger people to be the leaders they're capable of being. Talk about PSCG Foundation's commitment to young people and their leadership development, please. Wow. So, Steve, whether we're talking about our partnerships with institutions of higher learning, as you know, across the state, all of, of the, the large institutions of higher learning, or you're talking about the nonprofit communities, right? One of our key objectives is to create pipelines, right? Pipelines for the next generation of students, the next generation of workforce, right? And in order to be able to do that, it's not only about what they're either learning in the classroom or learning in skill-based training in order to obtain certificates for whatever position that they are pursuing. It's also mentorship. So with all of the partnerships that we have with the nonprofits and NGOs throughout the community, a part of those conversations include what departments or what areas within PSCG Enterprise as a whole, is there a direct connection to either that organization, the students, the communities, the next generation of leaders, so that we can bridge the gap through mentorship. We have internal mentorship even within PSEG with some of our executives and new employees. And we do it through also through our employee business resource groups. So mm -hmm. it's a major part of the foundation's um, mission. It's the major part of objectives that we pursue. And even in the area when I'm focused on corporate social responsibility, connecting those communities to key leaders within PSEG, always preparing that next generation of employees. And Mary, as you jump in here, our longtime program, the Stand and Deliver Not-for-Profit Leadership Development Program with young people, particularly in Newark, uh, the foundation, PSEG, PSEG Foundation has been, they've been big supporters, significant supporters of that initiative and so many great leaders. Mary, how many years we were on that program. Was it over 20? Yeah, it, de it definitely was. It was uh, 22 years because it started the year that I started and we just uh, sunsetted it this this year. So Mary, if someone was 16, that means they're like late 30s. Oh, I didn't want to think about it. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about talk leadership. No, it's, it's amazing. It just yeah. makes me feel old because many of the students that participated in the Stand and Deliver Leadership uh, Program 
came back and were workshop leaders for the program and mentors right. themselves. And uh, talking about that a little bit, Calvin, I would love to get your perspective on the leadership angle of things. One of the chapters in Steve's upcoming book is, is everyone a leader? Do you believe that everyone has the capability to be a leader regardless of their title on an organizational chart? Absolutely. I think everyone clearly has the ability to be a leader. Now, whether they choose to exhibit those skills, whether they choose to um, learn more about what it means to be a leader and what are the key attributes, I think that's an individual choice. But does everybody have the capability? I believe that they do. And again, if you know, I, I know I'm going back to the listening piece, but mm. when it comes to being a leader, starting starting with listening, and everybody has the ability to do that, it leads to the next very important phase of leadership, right? Is being able to provide thoughtful views on any of the subject matters. And I think we all have the ability to do that. It's just how often are you working at trying to perfect that skill so that people consistently hear you providing thoughtful views, which leads to trust and which leads to them on a regular basis coming back to you and looking for your views and your leadership. Quick follow-up, last question on my end. Um, relationships. Um, Calvin, I think a lot about the connection between leadership and relationship building. Some says, well, what does that mean? You have a, you have a bunch of old school business business cards of people like what does that mean you have a bunch of names in your phone like what does that mean contacts so i think about our good friend rick Figpen, who joins us on lessons in leadership a lot um at PSEG. he's a historian of epic proportions understands the history and context better than most i've had a long-standing relationship with rick we've known each other for uh maria um your colleague maria has been with us as well from the foundation and Ralph LaRosa, the leader there. The reason I'm saying all that is I'm convinced we cannot lead and be effective unless we work consistently at nurturing and investing in our relationships. Do I make too much of that, Calvin? No, no. I, I don't think enough people speak about it the way you just laid it out for us. So the key word in your description for me is consistent, right? You mentioned Rick being a historian. But although Rick is a historian, he doesn't allow the fact that his personal interest in history keeps him from finding out and what's going on in the communities today. So when I think about nonprofits who, that we partner with on a regular basis, that's the role that we play, we look for those nonprofits who are engaged in the community, who are consistently trying to learn and understand what are the needs of the community. Nonprofits need to throw, show that leadership. They need to be available to the community and the communities need to know that nonprofits exist. And as both you and Mary know, communities change. So if the nonprofits aren't being engaged consistently with communities and finding out what the needs are today, maybe today we need to be talking about wraparound services. If you're not doing that on a consistent basis, you'll find yourself as a leader, and as an organization, as a nonprofit or an NGO, a bit left behind. Calvin Ledford, Jr., president of PSEG Foundation, director of corporate social responsibility at PSEG, longtime partner of ours. 
on the uh, caucus educational corporation side. That's our not-for-profit uh, production company, been in business for more than a few years. I believe, Mary, back in the day before you even started with us, that was 23 years ago, mm -hmm. PSEG, the first corporate sponsor underwriter of our programming back in the late 80s. That's incredible. It's true. And they've been supportive, not just of us, but of so many not-for-profits ever since. Calvin, wish you and the team at PSEG Foundation and the corporation all the best. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you very much. And I'm honored that you've had me. We're honored to have you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Welcome back. I have a few more minutes with my colleague, Mary Gamba. I don't know who else is going to pop in here, and I think it's going to be our director, Elvin Badger, who is multitasking and doing all kinds of things. I have, I'm going to hold this one off. This is Life Begins at the End of Your Comfort Zone. I'm going to hold that off, Mary, for another show. Elvin, Come on in, buddy. <laughs> poor, poor Elvin never knows when he's going to be on camera, and he's just there. He is a team player all the way. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Elvin. Right. We don't have much time, Mary. So I get right to it. I have this right by me every day. I am, in spite of what it may appear on camera, I'm a lot older than Elvin. What the heck am I doing with every day I'm hustling around me? Like, what? Why should I be hustling at this point? And why do you hustle more than most? And what does that have to do with leadership? Go. So I hustle because I, I just enjoy what I do. And I feel like if I'm sitting still, I'm doing nothing and I'm wasting time. And at my age, I don't want to waste time. Time is not on your side. So I just choose to work harder. And because I love what I do, it's not hard work. But hustling, hustling implies, come on, let's go, let's go, let's I'm, go. I'm always moving. I'm always moving. I, 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 I'm always working. I, for instance, last night, I worked until 1 a.m., approving shows for you. I came home from basketball practice, jumped immediately to start working with Sylvester, and we were editing until about one o'clock in the morning. Was it work? Was it fun? Was it both? What is it? it I would say it was work and fun, because like I said, I, I enjoy what I do. And me and Sylvester, we work great together. So it's never it's never work when you work with somebody you enjoy working with. And we should make it clear, Sylvester is our, he's, we, he, we call him an editor, but he's so much more than that. He's an artist on the back end, puts things together. together. Mary, um, you've been hustling for a long time. And I don't want to belabor this, but there's a lot of times you say, I don't want to hustle as much anymore. Yeah, no. And there's that fine balance. And I, I think Steve and I have had these very candid conversations where, sure, I used to back in the day be like, Steve, let's go. You know, you, you got offered to do this gig in California. It's so exciting, isn't it? And when you actually, you know, put it into practice and go through the exercise of getting Steve to California, getting him on that flight, all the prep that goes into it, that's where I said, all right, let's slow down a little bit. Let's pick and choose the things that we enjoy. I mean, Elvin hit it on the head. If you, if you love the work that you do, then the work is a lot easier and keeping busy. And I think my sense is I want to keep busy in different ways than I used to say, even just 15, 20 years ago. By the way, Mary talks about a gig in California. It's not just to sing and dance, but it's more importantly to speak. It's yeah. a speaking. <laughs> Sorry, I should seminar. have clarified that. But, but, but hold on, Mary. Every day I'm hustling. But connect 
Elvin Mary keeps saying, we need to have impact over more activity, Steve. We don't need to do more shows. You don't need to have more clients. We don't need more sponsors. We need to have more impact, less activity. Fair, fair, Mary, and then I'm going to get Elvin. Yeah, absolutely. And that is so true. I feel sometimes as leaders and CEOs and presidents of companies, they just see a lot of activity and think things are getting done. But what you really want to make sure that you have is impact. So Elvin, I'll get your thoughts on that in the 30 seconds we have left. So my impact, I want to make an impact on my community. So the reason why I want, the reason why I coach, for instance, is because I want to show these young boys that I'm, I'm, I'm coaching, but I'm also- Basketball. Coach, yes, coaching basketball. I also try to teach them how to be young men, teach them how to how to live a life, how to be a responsible young boy, how to be a responsible student and, and child so that their parents and their teachers know that they can confide in them, they can trust them, and they, they can come to them whenever they need something done. Dalvin doesn't have to do that. He does have to do other things to make a living and take care of his family. But that being said, Mary, sorry, every day I'm hustling and Mary keeps us focused so we have more impact in what we do than just a bunch of activity. But hustling ain't an option for some of us. For Mary, Alvin, myself, the entire Lessons and Leadership team, thanks for joining us. We're hustling. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth.